everything else versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies. I want to be able to have reactive security. And I think OpVault is today the most straightforward, easiest to use way to do that. I will not be insulted by a clockmaker. <laughs> Overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think is a really big deal. If Bitcoin existed when we started Twitter, we would not have to go down the ad model path. I mean, it's simple as that. Integrating Lightning into a social network is the killer app. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast, where we explore developments and projects with the people who actually make them happen. The show is supported by Pod 2.0, Sat Streaming, and Coinkite. We make the cold card and fun products like the block clock. You can find more information about it on coinkite.com. Today, we have a pretty awesome panel to talk about uh, BDK making like the software that other people need to, to do uh, what they need to do, do the hard stuff so that people don't lose money and they can build awesome things on top. These folks also happen to work on LDK and uh, and uh, soon to control mining too with uh, MDK. Just kidding. And uh, why don't I why don't I introduce you guys? So uh, happy New Year, uh, Moneyball. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. Looking forward to talking about BDK and uh, any kind of Nostra usage if you want to talk about that as well. Yeah, we will. We'll. Uh, for the people that don't know, uh, me me and Jack uh, been. Uh, busting uh, Lee's uh, balls on, on Noster because his last post said Happy New Year's at the Happy New Year time. <laughs> <laughs> and T-Nol, nice to have you, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a developer with Spiral, uh, mostly uh, uh, working on the Lightning Dev Kit. Uh, and recently, I've been working on a project called LDK Node that uses BDK, and that's why I'm here. I'm basically a, a happy user. Well, uh, yeah. Steve uh, Mayer. Meyer. Mayer. Oh, God, Hi. it's going to be a yes. disaster. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on the BDK team. I'm one of the contributors there. And I was originally interested in BDK as a way to get a nice cross-platform mobile, you know, modern uh, wallet uh, built and met up with Alocos and the other BDK developers and uh, met up with Thunderbiscuit and just uh, started cranking it out with, of course, support from Spiral, folks at Spiral. And yeah, we're, we're just uh, getting into our, I think it's like more than two years now and starting to bring on users and yeah, getting, so I'm also, I'm also, I like to consider myself also a uh, uh, level one support on Discord. Nice. Yes, uh, nothing gets software done more than uh, getting the devs to answer tickets. <laughs> That's our internal motto at CoinKite. Thunder! What's up? Uh, thanks for having me. I'm also a uh, developer on the Bitcoin development kit, and um, primarily I'm an, uh, an Android engineer. So my expertise is on mostly mobile and uh, particularly Android. And I uh, deal with the language bindings for the Bitcoin development kit. I'm one of the maintainers with Steve. Very cool. So Steve, uh, I keep on doing this and keep on getting in trouble with my wife. I forget to introduce people. So so Mr. Lee, I happen to know you. These folks happen to know you. How, how about you introduce yourself to, to our audience? Sure. My name is Steve Lee, and I'm, I guess I'm going by Moneyball or Lee on this show to disambiguate. I lead Spiral, which is an organization 
uh, this part of Block. It's a really cool, unique part of, of a company in which we get to completely focus our time on free open source Bitcoin and just helping Bitcoin succeed. And we don't take any direction from the company. It's really a fantastic uh, opportunity for us. My relationship with BDK, we can get into that a little bit when the show um, progresses, but um, I've, I've long thought that uh, type of development kit is needed for the space. Just from my, when I first got into Bitcoin, I spent quite a bit of time with the Bitcoin Core project and also helped uh, start Bitcoin Optech. And through those two experiences, I realized the importance and need for improving the developer user experience and creating something like BDK. Very cool. So, I mean, why don't we get into it then? Uh, I think it's a good segue into it. Why is it that you thought BDK was sort of necessary? Yeah, so through Bitcoin Optech, a few of us went out and we, we, we already had good experience with Bitcoin Core and the open source community, but we went and spoke with, to dozens and dozens of uh, companies using Bitcoin Core and just learning how they build their Bitcoin products and their wallet experiences realize that everyone pretty much rolls their own software. They certainly use Bitcoin Core to connect to the peer-to-peer -peer network for defenses against Eclipse attacks and other attacks, validate coins, etc. cetera, the, the bread and butter, the actual core of Core. But none of them use the Bitcoin Core wallet as their wallet, and they, they, they roll their own software. They had to deal at a very sort of raw, low-level just overall quite poor developer user experience to build that. And also if you look at mobile wallets and any, basically any Bitcoin wallet, it's just a really, really huge chore to build a wallet. It would be kind of like if you go back a decade or two, it's like building, you know, a mobile application or like imagine like, um, you know, right when the iPhone was launched, the first year of the iPhone, there was no app store and dev kit. Imagine trying to build a native app on iPhone when you have no SDK, no, no library. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's funny. Uh, uh, you know, one of my uh, previous uh, companies did that exactly that for the iPhone way back then, and it was uh, it was brutal. Right. And it's the same for Bitcoin. I mean, we've been we've been building Bitcoin software for for over a decade now, and uh, you know, we, we found that there is very few people out there, right, who understand Bitcoin deep enough to build software wallets really from scratch and not lose people's money it's it's also like unthankful hard work to do it, you know people should be focusing on the business logic not on the bitcoin money handling part which is very hard and like that was one of the first things i it really attracted me to to be interested in bdk so maybe it would be a good sort of like uh, a point for uh mayor do you want to give us a bit of a primer on BDK and the, the state of development? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I should mention too that BDK is also built on a couple pretty, you know, like important projects. Uh, there's a whole organization called uh, Rust Bitcoin. So BDK is written in the language Rust. Um, and there's these core projects called uh, Rust Bitcoin that have, they basically provide like the SecP256K1 library wrapped up in Rust. Um, they provide all the basic data structures that you need for a wallet. So, you know, what are blocks, what are transactions, all those things, scripts, as well as another project called Rust Miniscript, which handles, so BDK should mention up front, it's a, one of the original motivations was also to have a uh, descriptor-based wallet. So that's rather than 
you know, trying to just do a single SIG wallet, you know, it's taking taking this Rust Mini script and taking also what's available in Rust Bitcoin and putting them together and allowing you to define really complicated signing conditions. So you can do a single SIG wallet, you can do an old fashioned legacy scripts, or you can do SegWit, or you can do Taproot, and you can have multi-sig, you know, time locks, hash locks, whatever is provided in the Miniscript tool bag there. Um, so that actually differentiates it a lot from some of the old, like you're saying, the, the support, there have actually have been older libraries. There's uh, Bitcoin J, there's Bitcoin JS. PyCoin. PyCoin, right. So there's other ones, but um, I, don't, I don't know of any other good libraries that support all of these modern features that you would want in a wallet. Yeah, so like I, I think like a huge reason for that is that Bitcoin is sort of adding things. It's a fairly new project. And and things were being added as they were developed, right? So, for example, Electrum, which was the first wallet after Core, you know, had to add features before they were sort of baked. So, you know, P2SH wasn't even around when when some of these projects were started. And and it's you know, it becomes macaroni, right? It's very hard to add a lot of this stuff when when the software is built around, say, non-deterministic wallets, for example, like Core. Uh, <laughs> you you kind of have to reinvent everything. Yeah, even core, the core wallet is currently in the process of adding mini script descriptor support. Like they have it in there now as a read-only. I, I don't know if it's the next version or some version after that's going to support signing as well as watch wallets in uh, as descriptor mini script descriptors. So even like the core wallet is sort of catching up to this stuff. Um, of course, you know the people working on Rust mini script and Rust Bitcoin, they, you know, they're also kind of core developers, so they're in parallel supporting these basic primitives that we're packaging together, along with other projects for things like Electrum support, Explorus client support. There's a project out there for doing um, compact block filters, which we're integrating into BDK. So, you know, just at a high level, you know, functionality-wise, BDK is giving you a descriptor-based wallet with Miniscript support, Taproot support, supported on you know, as a Rust library, but also as a Java, a, a Kotlin library, a Swift library, a Python library uh, that you can integrate into those sorts of projects. Now, I have to also say, though, right now, BDK is in the middle of a sort of API change where, I don't know if you've heard about it, we mentioned this already, but so BDK, you know, has all this functionality, but there were a couple little sticky points that as people started using it, we were running into primarily asynchronous support while syncing the wallets. So, that's a basically it was blocking. So if you were syncing with your blockchain data to your wallet to your wallet uh, data, um, it was going to block. And that's not great for mobile. It's not even great for server in terms of scalability. Um, and it, of course, once the once the hood got opened up and we have uh, a bunch of great, very smart people working on it, they found a bunch of other stuff they wanted to fix along the way. So we've got Lloyd and Evan and Daniela and Raj and Vlad all working on, you know, a few other related topics. That, that kind of came up during the syncing, one of them being coin selection. So we have a pretty sophisticated coin selection system, but of course they want to make it better. So that's going to be worked on a bit. Um, also, when you've got Miniscript, you've got multiple policies, potential policy paths. Um, so Alakos, who is the original founder of the project, he's gotten into how we can make selecting that better. So instead of telling it which signing path you want to use, it's going to be more like, and he's working on this in the Rust Miniscript library, but it'll be something along the lines of, I have this key and I'm willing to wait this long. You tell me what the best path is. 
So how do you guys test all this stuff? Like how, how do you, cause a lot of these things don't have a lot of uh, wallet integrations yet, or don't have other implementations yet, or the implementations are still early. What sort of process do you have to, to sort of, you know, create and test all these things and, and make sure that they are compatible with other systems? Yeah. It's sort of, Multiple levels. <laughs> yeah. I mean, output descriptors was was hard. I mean, I think was one of the first interactions I had with Steve was the fact that I think it was BDK who had uh, output descriptors and there were not a lot of wallets supporting it. How do you interact with this and how do you test this? Basically, the kind of levels we have now is we have, so the first level is just unit tests. Then we have some integration tests. We're using, a, we have another guy that was on the BDK project named Ricardo Casada, who had a grant also from Spiral. And he, he did something really cool, which is he made libraries that in your unit tests would spin up a Bitcoin D node, spin up an Electrum node, a, a new one for every test. You know, you set it up with whatever your wallet scenario is, and then you run your, it's actually kind of a, a unit slash integration test. So that's like kind of our second level because a lot of the testing that's required is with these blockchain clients because you get different data from each of these things. So, and it actually tests with the actual server. So it actually spits, spins up ElectRS for the Electrum side. It spins up an Explorer server, that variety of ElectRS for, the, uh, um, for that testing. We don't have it fully integrated with compact block filters, but that's something we're going to have to do when that's more mature. Um, so that's like second level testing. And then we have our own downstream projects that we support. So this is where, you know, Thunder comes in. He's got a mobile wallet, a test mobile wallet for Android or for Kotlin and Android. Um, we have a little test uh, uh, Swift wallet that was actually FuturePaul put together as a little hackathon project. And we now use that as one of our manual test things. And then we have a CLI. So a lot of testing gets done, like if we want to try out different scenarios manually, we use the CLI for that. Um, and then we have Python. We, have, we don't really have a lot of people using Python. I know you love Python, but um, <laughs> we, have Python we, don't, we don't have a lot of users right now, but that's, that's another way somebody could test. But Yeah, no, yeah, it, it, uh, there is not a lot of Python uh, mobile devs out there. No, even not for mobile. I mean, we don't support mobile Python. It's it's more um, just desktop anyway. So, you know, you guys are doing a lot, right? So, like, who's using BDK? So so we get sort of like a picture of, like, the kind of deployment that you have for this. Yeah, so people might be using it that we don't know, but the ones we, at least I know of, Steve probably knows of others because he's more plugged into other projects. But, um, like, I know we have a bank in Switzerland using it for their custody system, a bank called SIBA. Um, they've actually contributed back. They have a great developer named Will Richard who actually wrote a proof of reserves module to plug into our CLI, which is pretty cool to see. Is that BIP322? It's based on that. It's Nice. He, he changed it a little bit, but it's based on that BIP. Like it's that inspired great. by that. He, he just came up, some issue came across my inbox today that some people were trying it with some other hardware wallets and it wasn't working. And you know, I guess the support out there for the hardware wallets may not be there everywhere. But there's the foundation group, which uh, foundation devices is actually using our software in their mobile their mobile software. They have a fork of it, so they're not like on our main line, but they are basing it on that. Other projects, there's a well, Bull Bitcoin is investigating using it. Um, also, the um, there's a group in India that's building a wallet on it, uh, using some other bindings that are kind of additionally supported, which is. The guy named um, Bitcoin Xavier is working on Flutter bindings, so they're working a wallet based on Flutter for mobile. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Steve. Any others you can want to mention? 
Well, certainly one we'll go, get into quite a bit, I think, is uh, El- Elias's work on oh, LDK right, Node, which is a, a full Lightning node built using the LDK API. Um, but being a full node, full Lightning node, it needs to um, needs to have an on-chain wallet as well. So later in the show, Elias can talk about that in detail. I also know if there's, um, I don't know if this is publicly announced yet, but there's certainly block projects that are being built now, commercial projects that uh, that are using BDK as well. Is uh, Cash App using any sort of like variation of this, or they're not? Because you know they they it, basically Cash App predates the existence of BDK. They already built out their on-chain wallet, so that's why I think you know anyone who has an existing on-chain wallet, there's probably not a strong reason to like scrap all your code and switch to BDK. But any new project, any new on-chain wallet, it, you know it 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 has to be a go-to move to like look at BDK at least because it basically does a ton of work that you're gonna have to do on your own. There's not really another alternative. Um, so I think anyone out there building a new wallet from scratch should definitely take a look at, at BDK. And we should we should be sure to talk about language bindings too. I, I, that might be on your uh, your list of questions, but Thunderbiscuit and, and Steve can speak to, to those, which, which is really important for adoption. Yeah, I mean, the reality is it'll be in this space for a little while. You start building your internal wallet, right? For most projects, uh, especially for apps. And then a new Bitcoin feature comes about, right? And and they tend to be more complicated as Bitcoin progresses, right? Before we had one-to-one mapping of keys and then deterministic keys came about. Blockchain.info took a decade to integrate uh, and they were losing money. Anyways, uh, and then you have, uh, you know, you have P2SH come in and then, you know, most people couldn't integrate multi-sig realistically speaking. And then wrapped Segwit came about, right? And then bear Segwit. And now we have like Taproot around. Uh, I, I don't know your integration, like the, the extent of your Taproot work, but we can get into that as well. And and these things are progressively becoming like much bigger, much more complex uh, and hard to keep track of. So like having, you know, like a, a library that that's fairly good self-contained and not dependency, like doesn't have much dependencies on it. It's kind of a big deal security-wise, big deal also in terms of just not having like money losing bugs. And uh, I don't know, at least it's my view that like most people who who can make an app should probably look into this. They shouldn't be coding a wallet themselves and they absolutely should not be writing their own crypto library. So use libsecp. And, you know, it is the industry standard in any, in any industry that you share a common crypto library between all the vendors that may even hate each other. <laughs> Never roll your own crypto. Yeah, I mean, we're using a wrapped version of the same version of Libsec, exactly. LibSecP that everyone else is using. And not only that, but there's also an option you can turn on to validate transactions that's wrapping the Bitcoin consensus C code nice. in a Rust library. This is, again, part of the Rust Bitcoin package of of libraries. Yeah, it gives us a little extra confidence to, to base stuff on that. Uh, so, and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. No, I was going to say also, I forgot to mention, we also have some support for HWI. Um, this is something Daniela worked on where it's a library. Uh, it's not heavily used right now, but it basically wraps the Python. This is for desktop only. But um, actually, this this other developer, Raj, who's working, uh, working a lot also on the CLI, is, is working on integrating that uh, actually, I take it back. I think all Richard's doing it. But anyway, there it'll be an option on the CLI to use BDK and HWI with hardware wallets, and it's been tested with Gold yeah. Card. 
for, for people that don't know, HWI is uh, uh, the passion project of Andrew Chow, uh, which is now a Bitcoin maintainer, but back then uh, was just focusing on, on HWI. All hardware wallets uh, do the communication of computer differently. It's mostly due to hardware limitation, you know, like whichever chips you're using, it's gonna, they're talk, gonna talk differently to the computer. So, so, you know, it is what it is, but this is very important kind of security code, you know, like that's where a lot of attackers may try to, to go at. And there's also dependency issues and it's a, it's a very big sort of difficult project to keep track of. So, you know, for people who are building most often the not desktop wallets, they would be using HWI like Core does uh, to handle harder wallets. You know, Core is very glacially pace progressing to have better hardware wallet uh, support. You know, I mean, you know, Core ideally, hopefully one day is going to be separated, the, the node from the wallet. But uh, until then, uh, it's still going to be sort of like this, this kind of thing. Part of the reason why having something like BDK is so important so that you don't use Bitcoin Core wallet. Uh, so maybe Thunder, do you want to talk to us about like, you know, using BDK to develop on Kotlin and like, you know, some of the bindings and everything else that, that mm -hmm. we should know about? Yeah, well, one of, one of the things I was thinking earlier too was you were saying we were saying a lot of people have rolled on the have rolled their their own libraries and uh, and that's so there's not a huge incentive necessarily to to move over. But one of the questions you would ask yourself as an engineer is, can I keep up with Bitcoin? Right. So maybe you have your own Swift library and it's been working so far, but as time goes on, unless you have a few people working full time on it. Um, you're gonna you're gonna fall behind. So now you have output descriptors. You, people are gonna start requesting mini script things. Now that's hard to do. And because the Rust is ecosystem is now a, a little bit becoming, I think, a shelling point. Like there's almost bips are often now uh, written, and they'll come with some Rust code. That's a very common thing to do nowadays. I think Rust is becoming the the central focus point, and so to be able to leverage that ecosystem elsewhere is really, really powerful. So I think a cool example of that is that for us, we uh, we gave basically Taproot to Python users with a one-line change in our code base. So I just bumped the version of BDK from 0.18 to 0.19, re-triggered the bindings, and now you had Taproot on Python. You know what I mean? That came with all of the testing, all the beef, uh, the beefy sort of like test suite and review and, you know, the, the top shelf um, reviewers that are reviewing this tap route is now available on Python and it's a pass through for us. So there's not a lot of space for us to introduce bugs in those bindings. The taproot you get in Rust Manuscript and uh, in Rust Bitcoin is directly passed on to you in you know, on the JVM if you're a Java developer or a Kotlin developer or a Swift developer. So that's really powerful. Nice. Yeah, I just wanted to be clear that it was wasn't a one line change to add taproot to BDK, but what yeah, what Thunder's <laughs> talking about is adding BDK version bump for the language bindings project that he's maintaining. Yeah, that that was a great Sorry, yeah. This is a, a yeah, very big <laughs> distinction. <laughs> it was a lot of change on the big yeah, multiple side. people may not be familiar with our project structure, but we have BDK, the core library written in Rust, and then there's BDK FFI, Thunderbiscuits, the lead on that in terms of uh, and it it's a it depends on BDK and provides, you know, these Swift and Python and, and Kotlin bindings. And then there's the CLI, which is another kind of add-on that uses BDK. 
So, so what are sort of uh, big items that you guys are working on now to to be added to to BDK? The biggest the biggest change right now is just this 1.0 change where it sort of has two goals. One is to make some of these improvements in terms of asynchronous behavior for syncing. And then, like I said, once the, the hood got opened up, there's some other changes going on with coin selection and some changes with the way we persist data also, uh, which right now we're using, we have multiple pluggable databases, like a, you could use a SQL database or you can use a key value, a key value database. But the, the there's going to be a change where it'll be less tightly coupled so you can bring whatever database you want. And primarily when you're interacting with the wallet, it'll be in memory. This also makes it easier for the asynchronous behaviors. You can be basically querying that database in memory while you're also syncing and adding change sets to it. Anyway, so all that, those are the big changes going on. And and one of the goal, besides fixing these things that we needed to fix, it's also we want to provide a stable 1.0 API. It's been out there long enough where we think it's you know, we can get it to a, a spot where we can maintain it for a while uh, in this, you know, in a stable API. So it's kind of a big milestone for us to call it 1.0, but it really just means we're going to backport any fixes and stuff like that's going to be a stable point for people to build on, which is, of course, anybody building a product wants to see something stable in the API level just so they have less maintenance. And it gives us something to maintain. Is uh, having sort of like a, a shell of a app wallet, for example, on both major platforms, so Android and iOS, mm-hmm. something you guys plan on? Well, Thunder's already done a big part of that on Android. <laughs> yeah. I find that a lot of devs have a challenge with that, right? Like, it's like, yeah. okay, great. Like, there's this very cool library, but I don't know how to integrate the stuff with either Swift or Kotlin. So I'm still kind of stuck. I can build the cool JavaScript that does all the other business logic on top, but I don't know how to, you know, put the stuff in, you know, or sort of push an app out. Thunder, you want to talk about? Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of stuff we do to maintain basically just totally working examples. Press play and the app fires on your phone and you can check the code and make that work. I also maintain a repository with uh, about 30, 35 scripts right now that are all between 5 and 20 lines um, that you run on your command line and they just print so whatever output at the end, but they're all like this, like the tiniest uh, task you can ask BDK to do. So it'll be like produce a descriptor out of a mnemonic, for example, to start with, or uh, query the balance of a wallet using an Electrum uh, backend or using an Explorer backend. And we have those scripts in Rust, Swift, Kotlin, Python. And so that's examples of things you can just plug in, read the code, a few lines get going, and that's uh, that's really. Important. Are you guys growing the team? Because this sounds like a lot of code to maintain. <laughs> we don't have as much. We don't have as much support right now on the Swift side. We basically just like I mentioned, uh, you know, we have just like a very basic Swift iOS app. I'm actually trying to recruit for an iOS app. We have a Summer of Bitcoin project I put together. I'm going to try to get some Summer of Bitcoin help this summer. We have a guy here in Nashville who I'm trying to trying to recruit. To, he's a full-time iOS developer. Oh, he's great. Commercial. He's a really yeah. good dev. No, uh, can, we say, can we say his name out loud or no? I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we could say his first name, Matthew. He's, he's, there you go. He's, I'm trying to recruit him, so um, we'll, see, we'll see if I can rope him into this crazy stuff. The, the yeah. project also has the first B-Trust grantee um, contributing, yes. Vlad from, from Africa, which is great. That's very cool. And Vlad's very involved in our on our 1.0 upgrade stuff. He's he's uh, 
yeah, been really been. He picked us. Like we didn't have to recruit him. He came to us, which was really rewarding to nice. him on the team. MPK, you asked about um, what's being worked on. I, I can speak a little bit to my wish list for the future as well, yeah. which I think is shared, but we'll see. <laughs> no, please, please do. Uh, uh, you know, it's people want to get a picture if they're going to buy into a library. Seriously, you know, you want to know what's inside people's who run the library, what's inside their head, right? It's to know if if they, if it's aligned. Right. Well. Let me first say, I don't think this was mentioned yet, but one big improvement since last summer is just better integration with LDK. So someone trying to build a wallet from scratch that's both has an on-chain component and lightning, and they're using BDK and LDK, there's been like a dozen or so improvements or fixes to make that better. Elias can speak more, more to those details, but that, that's been a recent thing. And, and, and part of that is included is just an integrated wallet. So one criticism I think of existing Lightning implementations is they come shipped as a binary with, with an on-chain wallet. It's just one big monolithic application and it's kind of take it or leave it, that's your on-chain wallet. So anyone who has an existing on-chain wallet or they want to build their own custom one with BDK, you end up, users have two wallets then. They have like their on-chain wallet and their lightning wallet. And it's already hard enough to like, you know, back up and um, deal with recovery for one wallet not, and then having to do two is, is asking too much. So with, if you're building on BDK and LDK, you can create an integrated wallet where you only have one master private key that you have to, to, to manage. You know, uh, Steve, from just from a user perspective, I mean, you know, I used to have like sort of uh, uh, on-chain wallets, right? And then a couple of, of like lightning wallets on the phone. But, you know, because all the lightning wallets now provide like a, a reasonable on-chain expectation for like a phone wallet, right? So sort of like spending money wallet, you know, and, and the amounts of money are small enough that I kind of don't care too much, right? So I now have like five phone wallets that are all lightning wallets first that happen to also do on-chain, you know, in a more sort of expensive or convoluted way, but it's good enough. So I kind of feel like that's, it's, it's part of like this, this sort of like user demand for a, a sort of like, I don't care Bitcoin that I'm using kind of mentality. It's just, I want an app that has Bitcoin in it. If it's lightning or on chain, like it's not my problem. I just want to sort of go around paying stuff. It's sort of where you guys... well. Well, first of all, I mean, currently, I mean, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I have like 10 lightning wallets in my phone and they're all separate wallets. <laughs> <laughs> and probably a lot of your listeners are in the similar situation now, but it's early days, right? I mean, that that's simply, that doesn't scale. It doesn't scale both tech with the technical side, but also just mainstream users aren't nerding out with 10 wallets like we are. Um, so I do think as we project to the future, more and more users just providing I mean, I think there'll be many, many wallets because there'll be many types of use cases and types of users. But for a given individual, I think often it'll just be, be they'll have one wallet. And that wallet can serve multiple purposes. It can be both savings and spending throwaway. And the security can be dealt with at the software layer. I mean, you can use hardened harden keys and you can sort of protect your cold storage savings in case your... Um, key being used for your lightning wallet is compromised. I think that will be 
that'll be developed and it, all those details will just be hidden from the user. And then another, uh, just to touch on um, another part of that, I think Lightning will be hidden over time. Like right now, people love to talk about Lightning. There's a lot of startups that are, that's their exclusive focus and that's great. It's a cool new technology that enables a lot of stuff. But to end users, they just simply want to send and receive money and their money will be Bitcoin. So they, um, they, they don't need all these like technical details don't need to be introduced to them. And so, yeah, I, I agree with sort of what you were saying. It's, it'll just be an integrated experience that, that hides the details from the users. Yeah. But I, I teased that I'd talk about roadmaps. So, so let me throw out a few ideas and see what other, <laughs> the, the people who actually work on BDK, see what they think. But one is, um, you know, there's many different ways to get block data. And if, you know, if you're running on a server, if you have a, a, a lot of resources, good internet connection, you know, run Bitcoin Core, use full blocks. But if you're on a light client, like a mobile phone, you know, it can be challenging run Bitcoin Core on your, on your phone for a variety of reasons. So you've got to look at other ways. How do you get block data? And there's Electrum and Explora APIs. But another one, which is, which is peer-to-peer, is Compact Block Filters, or BIP-157-158. And there's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're sort of midway through getting that supported within BDK, but full support of that, I think will be great. And then in addition to that, once you introduce peer-to-peer on a light client on a phone, you over time, you want to beef up the defenses. You need to like defend against eclipse attacks and other kind of attacks. So right now, there's a lot of that software in Bitcoin Core to defend against that, but being able to, to put that into the BDK so that every wallet and in particular, light clients, mobile wallets being built with BDK, that they don't have to do it themselves. That security and this uh, denial of service uh, defenses and Eclipse attack defenses can be built into the library so that everyone benefits. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, is that Bitcoiners mostly like nerding out about the Eclipse attack? It is a feature built into the compact block filters, which is nice. Um, I, I think so like in, in the current version of BDK, we have sort of a very simple compact block filter that connects to a single peer. It's more of just a way to sync your blocks without running an Electrum server. But there's a, another this other library, Nakamoto. We've got integration work going on in that. The plan is for this 1.0 change, it will be based on Nakamoto, which has more of this Eclipse kind of features. I think I think what maybe what Steve's talking about too is it, you go beyond what Compact Block Filters gives you. Like you can say, you know, com- compare what I get back from Electrum with what I get back from Explore or Compact Block Filters and make sure that they don't conflict. I could also see just from a reliability point of view, you might want to connect to multiple providers and say, oh, if this the service is down and you know I have a backup Electrum server, I have a backup Explore server, I have kind of multiple choices to to sync my wallet with. You know, where that's very cool is uh, you know in developing world where people are essentially phone first, they don't have computers, so they're unlikely to have a full node synced. And there, a lot of those countries, their state is trying to make their life very difficult as well with their internet. So. You know, it is nice to have a multiple sources of truth of like which chain is the right chain. In that sense, I think this could be actually a very big deal. So that's, you know, when it comes to network attacks and things like that, I think we really come into an end developing world. I think it's like the best time to sort of start adding in lightning. <laughs> and Mr. T Nall here uh, is probably on the receiving end of of a lot of that stuff uh, and, and using BDK and LDK. So do you want to sort of like give us a little bit of a primer on how you're using the stuff and 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 take us that way? Sure, definitely. Uh, and I'll add to the to the wish list uh, at the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, the the project I'm working on, uh, as, as as mentioned, is, is LDK Node, which is um, 
basically a, a smaller, simpler version of LDK. That's the idea. Um, and also a more opinion, opinionated version of it. So LDK is a, is a, is a dev kit with above, I believe, 900 methods or so exposed. It's very unopinionated and very open to be used in different ways, very flexible. But with that flexibility comes uh, also quite some complexity to set it up and to actually use it. And on top, as, as we mentioned, uh, or as uh, Steve, I believe, mentioned before, it doesn't come with an on-chain wallet. LDK just has an interface that essentially tells you, hey, here are the basic data for a funding transaction. Please uh, create a funding transaction and give me one back if you have it. Um, that's basically the interface that LDK provides for that. And it's the user's end uh, has to, to create a funding transaction for Charles and so on. So LDK node, the idea of it is to, to wrap the LDK interface and wrap the BDK interface actually and provide a single interface that's very small and very simple. And you can just plug it into your app and have an interface that's currently, I think, in, on, the, on the main objects, like more in the like 30 methods, maybe, to open channels, close channels, send payments, basically. So the idea is you can really quickly spawn up essentially a full lightning node in your app and uh, get started. And then at the end, you can stop it again, essentially. When, when do I download it on my phone? Can, can uh, I download it? Yet. It's it's not yet that far, but we're we're getting closer. So it's it's still a work in progress, but there are already two projects actually playing around with it. So um, while it's written in Rust, there will be also language bindings for LDK Node itself. Um, and there are two projects already. Um, thankfully, one uh, started by Thunder here uh, on the Android side that picked up the the Kotlin bindings. Uh, we provided and basically sp spun up a, a sample project on base of that. And the aforementioned Matthew started a Swift project on Swift side of things. So they are our first example project picking up uh, LDK node to play around with. Very cool. And hopefully there was uh, also Elias maybe speak to the sorry to interrupt, but um, advancing in Bitcoin. You just did a workshop as well with LDK node. Right. Uh, we just like last week uh, had a, had a workshop at Advancing Bitcoin where, um, yeah, like I think uh, above thirty people in the room um, and had their hands on LDK Node in, in Rust and brought uh, absolutely most of them, if not all of them, to to pay an invoice in 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 an hour basically, setting up their own Lightning Node in in Rust and paying an invoice at the end of it. That was really nice and also to see that it's actually kind of approachable because we didn't give a, a huge tutorial at the beginning. So the idea was really that people yeah, would pick up on it themselves and they, they actually did. So that's, uh, yeah, uh, nice to see. Yeah, and internally, so uh, it's using BDK, of course, and, and um, worked quite a bit also in making BDK LDK integration a bit better. Um, there were some rough edges in the beginning, but I think we smoothed them out uh, pretty well. So that by now the two projects work pretty nicely together. One of these topics were wallet integration, for example. So yeah, so th that's pretty nice. And I'm really looking forward to the 1.0 release, really, because that, um, yeah. Is there going to be a champion project that's going to be using it to like, you know, how how you get the world to understand this 
oftentimes requires a, a real world example, sort of like, you know, hey, uh, you know, look at uh, app YIZ. It's like using our tech under the hood. And that, is that what you're looking at? So, so, are you talking about, are you going to be making a coin kite wallet with this? Is that what you're talking uh, about? <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, by the way, uh, adding to the wish list, uh, when, when NFC, uh, Mr. Mr. Mayor? Well, I knew you were going to ask me that question, so I spent a little time on it yesterday, and I've gotten most of the most of the uh, the commands that don't require a signed CVC, and I just got signed CVC commands working. So very nice. I'm, I'm making progress. Hey, listen, uh, Block might be able to use it with their uh, hardware wallet uh, if you guys have enough seen uh, time. Could be, could be, but I I'm only testing it on desktop now, but I have a Rust version of that library, so as soon as I yeah, get a couple I, more of those it commands just working, transfer over. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I was a, I was proud of myself. I got the the, the the signed CVC was really the only hard part. Very cool. Yeah, that, that, that you you get you get over that no in no time. One thing I want to mention because we we're talking about LDK node and NFC things and who's who's using that stuff is we we talked about testing earlier, right? And you might have a whole suite of tests that all pass, right? So the whole unit tests like a thousand that they all pass. But that's not necessarily testing the shape of your API until you have people using it. That's a big sort of difference. And we're, we're always looking for people to build early on the stuff we're, we're building, including PRs. So like an example for me, for example, is I'm trying to add the external signers to the binding. So you have a wallet, but you need somebody else to sign to provide a signature, maybe because it's a multi-sig or whatnot. And so the shape of that API and how you're going to use it on mobile, right, or through NFC or hardware devices, there's always, that's a whole other sort of angle to testing. It's not captured by unit tests, but it's, it is a really important part of this. And LDK Node is also at that point where like, we're trying to be early builders of it and just like pushing it and just poking around like we have private chats with Tina, basically poking and just asking, like, is this how it works? This is how it works. And um, yeah. Moneyball. Yeah, I keep on changing the names all the time, guys. It's uh, <laughs> This is going to be the nature of this episode. That, so like nine people on this podcast. That's right. <laughs> Moneyball blames Lee. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Moneyball Lee. So have you explored the idea of maybe having a spiral wallet, uh, not for the sake of like competing in the market, but more as the champion of all these building blocks as, as I, I find it personally, like when I'm building, you know, the projects that we do, I find it hard uh, to fully test, fully, fully understand internally like how far we need to go, what we need to do uh, until we have sort of like a, at least like a soft target. Yeah. You know, do you need a wallet in the market that's sort of like your soft target for like at least a minimum set of things that need to work in a certain way? Yes, it's a good, good question. I think the answer is yes and no. The, 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 the yes part is really LDK Node's a great example of that. We've been working on LDK for several years now. And it's super powerful, super flexible. Let's Lightning developers do do really do what they want without having to like implement their own Lightning implementation or fork an existing one. However, it has over nine hundred methods in the API. It's complicated, uh, and you really have to know Lightning at a pretty deep level. Not necessarily protocol developer, but like somewhere in between normal application developer and protocol developer. So we recognize the need for something like LDK Node. 
which is less flexible. It's it's opinionated. It's a, it's one specific recipe. We're trying to make smart decisions with it so that the components used are optimized and make sense for mobile. But it you know it has fifteen functions in the API, much simpler. And as was noted earlier, I mean people are thirty people in a workshop who had never seen this before, might not even even known Rust the language. Within an hour, they built a wallet that was sending a payment. So it's much much simpler. Now through that process, and Elias can speak to the details here, but we found uh, a number of wrinkles and problems trying to integrate BDK and LDK. That's the beauty. We found bugs. Yeah. Um, Elias can go into the details about using Explorer and what happens during a reorg. We found found some problems, and and it wasn't just in Elias's code, but we went and looked at others who are using LDK, and everyone had this this flaw. <laughs> so I think with LD, LDK Node. Uh, it's good to have the people building LDK actually using LDK. And then also LDK is going to be a really, really powerful example for anyone using LDK in the future. I mean, there's going to be some people who use LDK node out of the box and they ship products with that. That's awesome. It's being built to be production ready. However, others will want the customizability of LDK, but they're still going to use LDK node. They'll either use it as like a reference. They'll just look at the code and realize, oh, I need to handle edge case A, B, and C. Or maybe they'll fork LDK node so that they get to use, you know, they, they only then customize the, the, the parts that, that, that they need to. So that's the yes part. The no part, though, is that there's already like 100 wallets out there. We think there's going to be 1,000 plus wallets yeah. with better tools and adoption of Bitcoin, more and more use cases. And so we want to use our precious resources to, you know, improve the developer user experience and not really create an app. But, but I think the heart of your question was really what I answered about LDK node. Yeah. So, but do you have any plans of doing the same for BDK? Like, so for example, LDK, you have the LDK node. Maybe for BDK, you have like a, you know, a, a project that uses BDK, but is sort of run by by you guys, and and that's how you sort of like fine tune BDK to the market. Well, I'll give a quick answer, and then Steve Myers, you, you can chime in. Um, I mean, so LDK node does use BDK. Now, it doesn't exercise all parts of it, and and so I. I think there's still a need, like you're asking about MBK, um, but there, there's also I, I think there's um, you know the, some of the internal projects at Block that that um, I mean they're open in the sense that they're they're reporting progress, but there'll be there'll be an update at some point speaking to how you know they're using BDK, and I think that's going to be a really good reference example too. It'll be very validating for the project. It'll be validating, and you know, so because I'm aware of that happening, and that that's going to be all open source and public, and it'll be a really good reference. So um, I don't think there's a need. So for, can you spill the beans? I don't want to duplicate stuff. Spill the beans. Spill the beans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so I think I mean in terms of reference on testnet, Thunderbis Thunder here has a great example for Android. I don't know if he wants to talk more about what it currently does on testnet, because it's it's more than just a reference wallet. It's actually a reference wallet training tool. And and I'll just before he before he describes that, I want to say that I would love to have something similar to what he's building on Android for Swift, just to cover both of those platforms. But he can tell you what it what he's got now. Yep. We have a few wallets that I think are in production and uh, certainly I have uh, one. Uh, mine is called Padawan Wallet, and that's on the Play Store on Android. So you can download that, and that's using BDK in production. And not only that, but it's a wallet whose goal it is to teach you about Bitcoin using Testnet. So you download Testnet coins, and it will send you Testnet coins upon you know 
startup, basically, if you ask for them. And uh, so I also maintain a server-side faucet that will push testnet coins to that um, to that app. And the server-side is using BDK JVM. So we're really dog-fooding here. Like I'm using BDK on the server in the cloud and I'm using BDK in the app. And that's in production. We have certainly hundreds of users and there's maybe 50 to 150 pulls on the faucet per day. So there's a decent amount of, of views. Well, you heard it here first. You can go steal his testnet coins now <laughs> uh, yeah. and then give them to an attacker in the UK. Uh, that did happen. Did it? So, <laughs> yes. Actually, Alicos and Daniela actually used his tool for a training class they did to some high school students in Italy. And he noticed, like, what, where are all the, what, why are all these... Why are people hitting my faucet so hard today? And it was because of their class. Are you guys on Signet uh, or are you guys on actual testnet, like old testnet? My wallet is on testnet. Okay. Yeah. Although we have talked about setting up our own Signet, but we haven't done it. Is there any technical reason or? We support Signet. We just haven't set one up. Uh, we've also done some training on RegTest. I mean, obviously our internal testing, but mm -hmm. like. Uh, we did it when Alicos and Daniela did the workshop here in Nashville. They set up just like a private reg test for, you know, showing people how to use use BDK. But yeah, Signet would be fun. It's certainly a thing I'd like to have, but just time, you know. Very cool. So I guess on the, on the LDK side, I am not super, super knowledgeable of LDK. I know, you know, what most people would. Is there like, like which, which projects are using it and, and like how, how is that project sort of progressing? It's um, it's coming along really well. There's um, my last count. There's about twenty projects now that are have at least one, if not a team of engineers, integrating uh, you know integrating LDK and building a, an application with it, which is a big advancement over like a few years ago. We had maybe twenty tire kickers. <laughs> you know, people liked the concept. It sounded good, but it either wasn't mature enough yet for what they wanted to do or they just weren't really ready. And so we've gotten to a point now where there's, yeah, there's about 20, I, you know, I call legitimate projects. I think Ben Carmen tweeted that this is going to be 2023. It'll be like a Cambrian explosion of applications on LDK. Maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I, you know, it, we're, I think that we're definitely going to see uh, more products launched this year that are using LDK. And, uh, and, and there are, you know, there's already dozens. And I think there's going to be met many dozens of projects built on LDK th this year. And they range from all kinds of different applications. Like one ca category, which has been our sort of focus and bread and butter all along is non-custodial mobile, which is technically the hardest to achieve. There's, you know, going from custodial to non-custodial introduces all kinds of challenges with Bitcoin in general, including Lightning, and then mobile introduces even more challenges. So that's really hard to do. That's been our focus. So there's definitely a lot of projects that are that category. But there's also several server-based projects. There's a new form, the new category of non-custodial that several projects and companies are, are trying to tackle where users' keys are stored in the cloud, but independent from the financial provider and wallet provider. Is this um, like a blinded Oracle kind of thing or, it or is it known? Um, using some use enterprise HSMs, some just use a different hosting provider. So the end user has the authentication. multi-tenant thing kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So there's different approaches, but, and you know, the future of regulation there, I mean, it's clearly less secure than 
having your keys on on your own device, but it definitely, you know, there's like a lot of things in Bitcoin, there's trade-offs. So I think it's a good experiment to, to play out. But one thing, one big challenge when you do that is if you have 10,000 users, you need 10,000 nodes. If you have 100,000 users, 100,000 nodes, you're spinning up a lot of nodes. So it's very different than, to, than today's lightning usage on custodians, where you might just run one instance to LND, or maybe you, you come up with a solution where there's a few nodes. So you have a, if one server goes down, you have you can swap to the other one. But, um, you know, it needs a very lean, lightweight lightning implementation. And that has attracted people to LDK uh, to, to do that. And then, like, I know in one case, there's someone running LDK on an uh, enterprise HSM. So they just they have to have the customizability that LDK offers to, to do that. So that's another exciting category. And then there are a lot of just sort of more traditional custodial server applications where they want a new feature that's not available in the Lightning implementation they're using, or they're excited about the roadmap of LDK. So they're looking at, at potentially adopting LDK too. Very, very cool. The servers are blown up too, I think. I'm, I'm not sure if, I assume it's similar for LDK, but we were, we've certainly seen a big uptick in on our Discord server for BDK since I'd say January, like the amount of people building are by far most important and useful, uh, more uh, hit channel. The, the biggest channel we have is called BDK users, where people come and ask questions about things they're developing and how to use the API and they have bugs. And it's by an order of magnitude, the, the most used channel. And there's a lot of action going on. What's the size of the team now for, uh, for both LDK and BDK? So for LDK, there, Spiral itself has seven full-time developers, and all seven focus. And Elias is one of them, and all seven focus on LDK. So that that's a that's a, a, a core. But we're we've always intended LDK to be a public community project. We don't want this to be like a block or spiral, you know. Too late implementation. <laughs> um, Too late. You got to kickstart things, right? No, no we, for sure. From a cultural perspective, though, we've really uh, tried hard to make sure that our communication is in the public LDK Discord, not in some private spiral uh, channels. And then secondly, making sure that when uh, non-spiral contributors are opening a PR, we give it attention. So Matt Carallo, in particular, you know, he has his own SLA, <laughs> personal SLA to get back to any new, any open PR to get back within, I think, 24 or 48 hours to at least give initial direction or feedback or, or just thoughts. And I think that's really encouraged other developers around the world to, to start contrib contributing to LDK. And we have we, we, the project now has at least three developers who have been with the project for multiple years now, and they've, they've gotten enough experience, enough maturity in the project and, and shown enough merit that they their, uh, their reviews on a PR uh, count. And, and when I say count, meaning the project requires two reviewers with sufficient experience to approve a PR before it gets merged. And so we have, you know, it, it, I think it's a good milestone that non-spiral developers are, are have sort of progressed enough on the project to do that. And what about BDK? It, it, like, what's the relationship between BDK and Spyro? Because it feels it's more separate than LDK is to Spyro. To Spyro? Yeah, so Spiral has been one of the largest funders of grants for individual developers. Um, and those are, you know, there's 
you know, I, I don't know, remember the exact number right now, but, you know, the total team of people working on it full time is probably around seven. Um, and then, of course, there's people that come in and out. We also try We have uh, weekly meetings for both. Uh, Thunderbiscuit has a meeting for the language binding users. I do one on the other alternate Tuesdays for the, the BDK users, uh, Rust side stuff. And just to, you know, invite anybody who wants to come in, talk to the team live, um, talk about, you know, if they have a review bag or PR that's not getting attention or some feature they want to talk about, you know, that's that's how we try to engage with community. But, you know, so, you know, besides the people that are working full time, we do have a lot of people just have some itch they want to scratch. You know, we had, like I said, the guys that added the BDK reserve stuff. We have people that wanted, you know, there was some little like, didn't like the way we were describing our balances on our CLI and stuff like that. Um, but but even more important stuff, like we've, you know, had other folks that have, you know, found, you know, there was a bug that they wanted to fix and they came in and they fixed it. So, um, you know, it's hard to say what the extended team is, but, you know, that's, you know, we're trying to grow that. So just as, you know, Steve was saying that Matt's doing, we're, we're trying to be responsive and, you know, not let PRs sit around, you know, get, get them. If we, even if we can't merge them, at least say why we can't merge them or what's going on. So for the people that sort of like look from the outside, right? Like it, it's kind of like hard to know exactly the structure of LDK, BDK, Spyro, you know, the, the lizards trying to control Bitcoin, just kidding. It, it, you know, like, uh, so I, I'm just trying to sort of like, I guess, like give a window into like how these projects are run, how these projects are funded. So people understand the incentives, right? Like, and and people understand like, you know, like if they should, you know, put their eggs on your baskets, right? So it's just out of curiosity, like how do you guys yeah. describe it? Yeah. I'll speak to that more. I mean, because Spiral funds around 10 projects. And it's actually, it's kind of an interesting case study to see our engagement with each does vary. Like your observation about LDK and BDK, I think is correct. Like there's spirals and entity is, is, you know, spends more mind share, more energy, more cycles on LDK than BDK, but we're enormous supporters of BDK and still are, are, are engaged there, but there is different levels of engagement, but both, in my mind, like each project, both LDK and BDK kind of have the, the same goals. Like we, we want them to, you know, we, we want adoption. We want to develop, improve developer user experience. They're intended to work together technically, you know, it'd be an integrated package. Like in my mind has always been in the, in the end, whether that's like two years from now or five years from now, people will just use a Bitcoin SDK and it just happens to be BDK and LDK sort of combined. But so it's interesting to observe like different levels of engagement. How did these projects proceed. I'm personally pretty happy with it. Um, Bitcoin design community is another thing that Spiral initiated and kicked off, but it's grown. It has like many, many dozens of active contributors. Thousands of people have joined that community. And, and, but Spiral is pretty, pretty hands off. Like it, like Spiral could just disappear now and Bitcoin design community would, would sustain where I think there's the most improvement to be made though, is still the funding side. Like, LDK is still primarily funded by Spiral. BDK is as well, even though we're, we're, we're hands off. Like m- most of the BDK contributors are, are funded by Spiral. Uh, Vlad is not and Alicos never was. So that that's healthy. Um, in terms of like <laughs> lizards or whatever, uh, people should know that like myself and Spiral, we're always actively trying to get these projects funded by other entities as well. We don't want to exclusively fund them. 
I mean, we, we, you know, we, we wrote up like a, a framework for projects and we want to get to a point where the projects mature and have other funders. I think the projects have to mature though. Like I think that will come with adoption. Like when other it's time, yeah, it takes time when other companies start adopting it and depend on it, they're going to be, they'll have a much more vested interest and understanding of why to fund something like BDK. Otherwise a lot of companies, they just aren't, all they really know is Bitcoin core. It's like, if they want to support Bitcoin, support Bitcoin core, which is not a bad thing, but there's a lot of other valuable projects in the space to fund. You know, I, I don't, I'm not one of those people who subscribe to, you know, like, oh no, you know, like you don't want too much integration or too much interaction between people who build certain software and some other company that may be the single funder or whatever. Like, I mean, listen, you know, the space is going to have many kinds of actors, right? And different actors will have different sets of, of interests, different sets of trade-offs. At the end of the day, I think you guys are providing an enormous amount of value uh, back to Bitcoin. You know, there may be people who don't like the direction you guys will go, but you know what, like good luck to you. Uh, you may choose to build something else. That's the beauty of Bitcoin, right? Nobody needs permission to do anything, including fund people to do things. So props to you for, for putting this effort in. Thank you. I, I really, I, I, I hope we don't, I hope there aren't people that choose not to use BDK or LDK because they think it's been built custom for block. Like that block product initiative. People don't know what block is, by the way. People still think it's square. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I am a boomer square person. So it's on your favor. Yeah, square cash up. So a concrete <laughs> example, because cash up was the first product to launch with LDK. Frankly, the L, like spiral in LDK. I mean, on one hand, it's awesome. It's great to get adoption. It's great to get a user. And it's great to get a popular product using it. Amazing. But we also kind of cringed because we were like, we don't want to send a signal that like, oh, we built this for block because we never built it for block. We weren't even part of the decision making process that they chose to use LDK. They just chose it on their own. It was independent from us. Um, and definitely the design and every day to day work for both BDK and LDK are not for any particular company, specifically block, because it's ultimately the entity funding a lot of this work. So I, I just hope that there's no one that avoids using these tools because they think it's customized for block. That's not. I think the code speaks for itself and, you know, like people can always fork it. <laughs> like it, it's yeah. not the, the code doesn't have a lot of business logic, right? To begin with, it, it really yeah. is mostly like sort of like Bitcoin logic. And the code doesn't seem to make a lot of decisions that could be contentious to Bitcoin anyways. So, you know, I wanted to address it, but like, I also wanted to put out there that like, you know, we're just still manning here on other side. It doesn't, I, I don't really see any issues. Yeah. You can also like check the yeah. repos and you can see like, I know this is true of BDK, I'm sure it's true of LDK too. Issues come from all over the place and probably most of them aren't necessarily from block. You know, they're from just other users who open an issue and, you know, they get just as much engagement as anybody else's requests. So... That's one way people can also judge. Yeah, and these are all open, uh, open source uh, projects and really basically all communication is out in the open. All the rationale for why design decisions are uh, taken are on the PRs themselves. You can go there, you can leave comments, you can argue against the rationale given. Uh, you may not always win the argument, of course, uh, but... Um, uh, I mean, it's really, and I can only encourage that, right? For for everybody that's interested, come to come to GitHub, come to our Discord, 
and engage with the community. And if you find a flaw and or you think you can improve something, please go ahead, do so. We really, we can, uh, as mentioned before, we really appreciate new contributors in, in any way, shape or form. So, yeah. And users or contributors, like even just using the product and like like Elias said, giving feedback on how they like the API is, is amazing feedback. Well, I projects. mean, anybody who's been around open source understands that you go into a repo, you're likely to get a no, and that's the way you should be. <laughs> and then if you keep on going to the repo, eventually you get a yes, and then eventually you're the one saying no to other people. That's, that's like literally how open source works. And it, you know, like it, it's a meritocracy in a way, and then there is the people who maintain it, and you can always just fork. <laughs> and, and if you do fork projects, please contribute back. I, I think that is uh, the minimum sort of uh, thing that you should do to a project is uh, give back, uh, even if it's just docs. Contributing nothing is a shitty behavior. Anyway, so now, uh, Steve, I actually have a, an ask before we get into the MDK part, which I'm curious about. I want to talk about the NDK. Uh, when are we going to see a Noster uh, development kit? I think it's actually much needed and, and it will be super, super useful. I think Pablo already from Swan already raised his hand. <laughs> I saw on Nostra that he uh, that he's going to build an NDK. No, I, I uh, and and you know I think we could even uh, maybe uh, you know sorry Corey maybe we steal Pablo and uh, and we get him hundred uh, percent of his time on Nostra now. Uh, all right, I look forward to his spiral uh, grant application for for NDK. <laughs> Are you looking for a client library or a server library or both? There's a lot of ground to cover there. Yeah, I think we need both. Right. I, I think people will benefit from having those two parts sort of like at least the the basic NIPs covered, both as client and as a server. And I don't think I don't think you can build a server without a relay, without uh, uh, building a client because you're going to need to test and you want to be able to test with uh, with your own stuff. It, it's kind of like we, we were building a relay, uh, which you'll be right back. And that's the joke. And uh, um it's it's simple to bootstrap something, but it's hard to to do it uh, and maintain it. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like we we need that to to grow Noster even faster. And it would be nice because if you have Bitcoiners and Lightning people involved in that somehow, or or part of teams who are part of Lightning and Bitcoin teams, you can further improve the the Zaps and every other sort of. It's amazing how these two projects in, in overlap. And I, I know some people think, you know, Nostra is sort of like off topic, but I, I like to say that you cannot have free money without having free conversations. So like, uh, you know, they're they kind of integral. I want to see a, a Bitcoin wallet multi-sig coordinator on as a, as a NIP. I don't know if anyone's working on that yet, but as a wallet person, I'm interested. There was a PSBT uh, carrier. There was a PSPT okay. carrier for uh, for for Bitcoin that I think somebody wrote. There is also a lot of coin join stuff being coordinated with Noster. There's Joinster. That's cool. Which is really cool. It's join markets being <laughs> coordinated that. There's going to be markets soon. Uh, so soon you're going to be able to buy things uh, that you may not be able to sell uh, in other places uh, using this, this censorship resistant protocol. Uh, anyways, just planting the seed out there. Come on, Steve, find some bucks. You know, Are you angling for the pre-mine on the Nostra coin? That's <laughs> the <right>. NDK coin? <laughs> that's right. Can I just say Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter right now is, I don't know what's going on because I'm not on Nostra yet, but Bitcoin Twitter is just dead right now. 
There's, there's yeah, because everybody's on Noster. Yeah. Everybody has moved to Noster. It's called like, March it, off it, Twitter. That's the hashtag. Yes, March off Twitter. Seriously. It's, yeah, it's super silent. I'll get it's you an account, long. Thunder. We'll, we'll get it set up. Yeah. And we have to, uh, oh, actually, that, that comes with an audience question here for Steve. Which one? And uh, we, have, we have two questions here from Jack. Uh, one is, uh, is it possible to buy a Windows license without creating an, a Microsoft account? Uh, that was my question, which he referred to you. Uh, is it? Is it? Yeah. I don't know why I'm the expert. This must okay. be for Steve Myers. <laughs> I was just my opinion on that is don't buy a Windows license or run Windows anywhere. So the only time I have to deal with Windows now is, or actually, I fixed this. But it used to be I'd go home to see my parents, and I hadn't used a Windows computer for like ten years. And then they'd have some issue and I'd like pull my hair out and I eventually just bought them iPads and I'm like, and now they've transitioned to that. Oh, I got everybody on Macs now. So no more technical support, mm. but I, I do need Windows sometimes for ham stuff. Uh, unfortunately, mm. ham has some Windows software and Windows software is often closed source. So it, it's kind of like, any, so, you know, you can't really port it. It's, it's an absolute nightmare, but you know, nothing like the... Nothing like uh, a time to resolve these problems. The old people die, the new people like open source and resolves all the problems. Uh, I guess so now comes the second question uh, that's very related to the, to the ask for uh, Spyro to, to sort out the NDK. Does Steve need any help using Noster? <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I might have to have Jack uh, hold my hand through the, through the process. No, I, okay. I'm on. <laughs> I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I guess I haven't posted. I didn't even know I had not posted since New Year's, but apparently I hadn't. But I'm definitely replying, engaging, and zapping. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I love Nostra. I think it's a great experiment. I think it has potential, great future. I think a lot of people conceive of it as just like, oh, it's Twitter. But it's, it's much more than that. So I, I can't wait for there to be, uh, I mean, already you guys mentioned a few other applications. I can't wait. To, for for non Twitter applications to get more popular and more visible, so that people see the the, the power of Nostra and it's not just a Twitter clone. Oh, uh, one good one is uh, check out uh, Habla.news. It's essentially a Substack or Medium replacement in Nostra, and you can actually so long form and you can replace your post and people can comment on it. <laughs> it's amazing. But anyways, uh, I'm going to stop simping for Noster now uh, <laughs> until I have the, I, I get my uh, NDK. Mayor is on Noster. Uh, Tino, are you? Yep, I am. Cool. Uh, and uh, Thunder Biscuit, you are as well, right? No, I'm not yet. I need to. Oh, okay. I don't understand how to create no. the keys and safely have that. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is a lot developer, like, oh, people. I was like, what? <laughs> Where am I putting these keys? Like, I don't know. Well, no, the important thing isn't just generating your key. You've got to use this Rana thing to get a custom, a custom pub and pub. That's how the the cool kids are doing it. Okay. So just post your your in sack your your private key on Twitter, yeah. and people will help you post. <laughs> is that how it works? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a community. It's effort. a hardware support coming for NSACs. Yeah. yeah, this is coming from the cold card. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah, so when N, when N keys on, when are our Nostra keys going right. to be on our cold card? So we do support 32 bit hacks uh, on BIP85. So you can use your cold card BIP85 to generate Nostra keys. And uh, this is actually nice for you guys to know from BDK. So cold card, Schnorr, Taproot, signing is almost ready. Ooh. That's where we're going to build a mini script as well. It's going to come out as a separate release. We, we don't want this to be the, the user release because it's just too much code to change. 
and you know we kind of like to not make people lose money. And that one will have Nostra signing. Nice. So when when key delegation comes and we have NDK in many implementations supporting key delegation for Noster, we uh, we should be able to sign that. So it is coming. Yeah. So so Steve, you have a, a new announcement there uh, that perked my ears, but I, I haven't had a chance to look up yet. The MDK. So tell me how are you guys are gonna influence mining and uh, fork Bitcoin. I'm just kidding. T tell us about MDK. First, we're going to unwind Taproot and Segwit. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> tell me how you're going to make uh, uh, JPEGs in the blockchain easier. No, I actually, I woke up this morning with people messaging me concern about MEV on Bitcoin. So then I, I, I suggested that we might have to fork at some earlier block height. But okay, MDK with an M. As M is in Maria. In <laughs> Maria. Mining development kit. The first thing to be clear, this is not a spiral initiative. This is a commercial okay. commercial initiative from Block. You know, it was announced a while ago, and I've spoken about it publicly some because I'm I, I do work closely with that team on a mining initiative at Block. So Block is designing its own ASIC mining chip. Block is exploring designing and creating a mining rig as well to put on the market. But I think the most exciting thing about that, that entire initiative is the, the um, it's going to be open. And so, which is the opposite of what we see from existing mining vendors, you know, mining chip and mining rig vendors. The, the market today, you can't buy a mining chip. Uh, you have to buy a mining rig. It's all vertically integrated. And there's a lot of a lot of companies in the space that we've spoken to that want to innovate. They have mm -hmm. some custom application. They have some custom use case. They're in like remote regions in Africa, which have all kinds of different needs than like a, a, a wind farm in Texas. Because of the physical nature of mining, there's just lots and lots of need for customizability for mining rigs and the whole operation. And that's really, it's really, really difficult to do today because everything's closed and locked down. So Block will sell chips individually to people that want to build their own rigs, do their own designs. And Block will also open source any mining rig that it sells itself and, and others can you know do with that what they will. The announcement the other day, the mining development kit is kind of what you might imagine. I mean, it will cost money because you're actually getting you're getting hardware, but you'll get uh, it'll contain a, a mining a hash board. Uh, it'll come with free open source software, which I, I think will, you know, the intention is to, it'll include Stratum V2, which is, which is a project that Spiral funds and, and works. So are you saying that, uh, the plan is to have, uh, the controller board being a little bit smarter and being able to talk Stratum V2? Because that's right now one of the big issues, right? Like you have essentially like a bunch of dumb miners, like this controller board still need to talk to like a, you know, a, a block maker. Right. And sort of yep. like a, a, a master brain in a, in a farm where, you know, it would be nice if it didn't. Let's put it this way. Yeah. So there's several different components to Stratum V2 and there's several sub protocols to Stratum V2. So it's more complicated than just just saying that one thing. There's software for Stratum V2 that's on the mining pool side, on the, the miner side and really making miners 
operations smarter and more sophisticated today or than they are today. And then at the firmware level and at the ASIC chip level. Now you you can take a Stratum V1 firmware mining rig and interoperate with Stratum V2. Because the open source project that Spiral and others fund, SRI, Stratum Reference Implementation, it includes a proxy which will convert Stratum V1 to V2. So that does exist. What the block MDK will do, it's to be determined. So the announcement the other day was not that a finished product that you can go buy and it's all the all the questions are answered. In fact, that post um, has a bunch of questions. So we're seeking feedback. We want to hear from people who want to innovate in mining and what do they want from the hardware? What do they want from the software? What do they want from development kits? What do they want? How, how do they want Stratum V2 integrated? Those are all open questions. So we don't know yet whether... Block will create Stratum V2 firmware or collaborate with the open source project. I mean, something I personally push for is lots of collaboration there. I'd love to see the Block team working with the SRI project, which, by the way, has Foundry and Galaxy and Brains and many other companies in the space are contributing, directly contributing to that project. So it'd be great to have Block contributing as well. But um yeah, at the end of the day, I would expect Stratum V2 to be supported. My hope is that things that either Block does directly or, again, with MD, MDK, some third party, some other new startup or existing mining company um, creates products for miners that run a full node and make it seamless to operate. Because a huge benefit of Stratum V2 is you decentralize who gets to tr select transactions. Because today, only the mining pools run a Bitcoin Core full node and do transaction selection, which is just a handful of companies. With Stratum V2, it enables, it technically enables a miner to do that. However, miners today, they don't have the hardware to run Bitcoin Core. They don't have the technical know-how or, or operational you know, behavior to do that. So I think whether it's Block or other companies lo would love to see offerings in the space that just is a turnkey solution, whether it's embedded within a miner or as a server that can work with, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of miners at a, at a mining farm. And uh, is the ASIC going to be open source or what, what's the plan on the actual silicon? Uh, definitely the desire is to open source it and open source as much as possible. Uh, I mean, you do hardware, so, you know, there's challenges with that. You know, block oh, there's stuff you just can't. Yeah, I mean, block, block doesn't fully control that. So at a foundry, there's there's licenses and there's certain techniques and IP that uh, is is um, you know under the control of the foundry or even other third parties. So to the to the best of Block's ability, it'll be open sourced. I mean, I I'm confident it's gonna be much better than today because today there's not even a public data sheet for existing Bitcoin mining ASICs, and so Block will definitely make a data right. sheet well, available. I mean what what happened to mining like actual silicon is like you know which is very rare you normally have the north american approach come in first right so you build things the north american way so it's like you know super well tested stuff like long development cycle and you build the chips and all that stuff right in bitcoin it was the complete opposite of that you had china first so and the china approach is brute force it make it as cheap as possible and you mix in B, A, B, C, D, and Z of quality of parts, and hopefully, you know, the stuff works. But it does make it super cheap. And, and I, I feel like th there is this sort of, um, this intersection that's sort of like we're, we're 
walking towards now where you're going to see North American style of development like Intel is working on miners and things. They're going to probably be super slow to start, but then they're going to come in and once they start putting in all their IP for materials and things that China can't do or is not allowed to do, they, they might sort of like have a, an edge and it's going to cost, but like the balance and the competition on that's going to get super interesting. That's like why I'm curious about like what kind of technology you guys are going to be using and, and all that stuff. I know you not specifically, but, you know, Block and, and their uh, ASIC development team. I think, I mean, I'm excited about two directions. I mean, one, the obvious one, just like using more advanced node technology, you know, we're like in the market today is five nanometer, but it'll, you know, we'll see three and, and ongoing that's one direction. That's sort of the obvious one. You're going to get higher performance, more energy efficient, et cetera. Another um, less obvious and kind of counterintuitive direction is to economically enable a lot of renewable energy for mining, like solar and wind. They're intermittent, right? Like the sun doesn't shine 24 They're hours They're hopeless. Well, I don't think it's hopeless. But, <laughs> I mean, but but the reason I suspect the reason you're saying it's hopeless is that it's very economically challenging if you have an operation that's not connected to the grid, and it, but is using solar or wind and can only operate like 20 to 40% of the day, how can you compete with a 24-7 miner if you're only running your machine uh, that often? And there's several, or there's many variables to mining, but let's assume everything else is held equal. You have, your, your CapEx, your equipment has to be dramatically cheaper. Um, how, how would that be possible? Why would they be able to buy hardware much cheaper than other 24-7 miners? And, and the answer is old, or, or more precisely, energy inefficient chips. And because for 24-7 miners who are pay, paying maybe four cents a kilowatt hour or six or eight, there's obviously some threshold where it makes no sense to, to mine when the energy costs exceed the, the revenue. And then that equipment becomes worthless to that miner. And so they could just ditch it for $0 or someone will come along and buy it for pennies on the dollar and be able to unlock renewable energy. So I think there's a huge opportunity for Block, for th other companies in the space to um, optimize refurbishing, make chips and all the, the PSUs and all the components of a mining rig so that they can be refurbished, say, four years down the road when a large mining farm no longer can economically use the equipment and it can be refurbished and repurposed into, say, a home miner and sell it along with home solar mining panels. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe if they're using it for heat, <laughs> because, you know, four-year-old uh, mining hardware is going gonna, is gonna to get tricky. Well, th that's super cool. I, I mean... I, I think there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of unknowns, right? Like a lot of unknowns. This is all sort of like just happened. <laughs> you know, Bitcoin just happened. You know, it's it's only 10 years. I mean, yep. and it, it's like it's like electricity just happened. You know, you remember those posters of uh, I don't know if you've seen those before. When electricity came out, there's these posters. Electricity is going to kill you. Right. Like and, and it's like everybody's scared and, you know, nobody knows what to do with it. And they, they just think they're going to make like faster horse cars. Anyways, listen, guys, this is this has been like super, super fun and interesting. I, I guess like this is this is like a, a good point to uh, to ask. Like, is there is there anything around uh, the LDK, BDK and now MDK, NDK 
that uh, that we missed and we should bring it up uh, before we start closing up? I think we covered we covered a lot. That's good. Yeah, I, I would just definitely say you know check out our websites bitcoindevkit.org. Oh yeah. Um, certainly new users jump on our discord, love to chat with you, you know, if you want to be a contributor or just be a user, uh, we could, you know, always, you know, like to talk to you. I, I could say from experience that, uh, showing up in Nashville and uh, nagging the team to integrate, uh, NFC has, uh, has started to pay off, but we're going to, we're going to see soon. You give us free stuff. We'll try to use it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, these two teams are, are super, super approachable. I highly recommend, uh, uh, you know, getting in touch and, and, you know, they, they are very, uh, helpful and, and willing. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Maybe this is also a good moment to, to reiterate. We, both of the projects uh, offer, uh, Bitcoin, uh, summer of Bitcoin projects. So if you're a student and you're interested in LDK or BDK, uh, go to the website. We, we all uh, offer projects that are really nice. So, and we are very approachable as we just heard. And uh, just before we sort of get into final thoughts, uh, Steve, uh, w- what's the best way for people to, people who are serious, uh, we have a lot of people who are technical, who listen to the show, who may be looking for a grant to work in projects. Uh, and, and these are people who want to really work on like awesome stuff. What's the best way for them to like seek grants from Spiral? I'd say uh, go to our website, which is spiral.xyz. From there, you'll you'll find out how to do it. But just simply remember to, you can also just email grants at spiral.xyz. And what we're looking for, we want to understand how people want to impact Bitcoin. How, you know, how do you want to improve Bitcoin? We want to hear that story, hear that project and hear how they intend to, to complete it. We want to fund things that we think will add a lot of value to Bitcoin and someone who we think has the skill set to do it. But it's also important that they, they're going to be their own boss. They're going to wake up in the morning and know the next step because with a grant, we're not, you know, we're not managing the projects. We, we're very hands-off. We do our diligence up front. But then once someone gets a grant, we're, we're quite hands-off. And I, I, I should add that you guys are not just Bitcoin specific. I, I'd say like Bitcoin adjacent, right? I mean, you guys just funded a, a Fediment developer. Yeah, we've we funded three Fediment developers now. So we, you know, any project has to be free, free open source and permissive licensing. We want to fund things that we think are high impact, but don't have a natural business model. If it does have a business model, awesome. Go, you know, either generate revenue or, or get venture capital funding. But there's a lot of important things in Bitcoin that, that don't have business models. So that's that's the sweet, uh, sweet spot for us. And um, yeah, Bitcoin and Bitcoin adjacent. I mean, I, I would I would call Fediment a, a Bitcoin project. But, you know, uh, you know, we, we fund, like I said, we funded about 10, 10 different projects. They're certainly all related to improving the developer user experience, protocol development tools at uh, helping make Bitcoin be uh, native currency to the Internet. I'd say it's the, the core thesis. Mayor and, and Thunder Biscuit, like, is there a specific sort of like PRs you're looking for, specific skill sets you're looking for, like any specific like, okay, like if you can contribute to this, we really could use this right now. Is there anything like that? I'll just say that I think probably right now, it's probably getting people to work on their mobile side, which is like Thunder Biscuit's you know, main focus right now is, you know, the that's where that API is kind of going to be stable for a while while we get the the guts of this 1.0. It's it's people that want to, that are like very knowledgeable about Rust 
and Bitcoin that want to help with our 1.0 refactoring stuff, certainly welcome to join. But it's pretty far down the road, so it's it's uh, it's going to be a, a bit to catch up on if anyone wants to work th- on that side. It's it's going to be more uh, easier to onboard people right now, probably on our mobile side. So or people that just want to use our existing uh, our existing APIs. I'm a Thunder Biscuit. Did you have some anything specific that you were thinking? Well, I do want to say that um, certainly the, the the way the language bindings are developed for the Bitcoin Dev Kit is that there's sort of like the core Rust Bitcoin Dev Kit, and on top of that, we expose some of that as language bindings. So it's not the entirety of of the Bitcoin Dev Kit, although it's at this point it's most of it. But so the they're not happening exactly at the same time. They're, and this shape of this API for the language bindings is still very much in flux. And we are not at the 1.0 level release yet. So if you are a mobile developer, you're listening to this right now, you want to develop using our stuff, like come and, and tell us what you're thinking, how you're using it. And uh, it's we've had, I mean, it's countless. I've been working in on this full time for a year. It's count the number of features we've added from people just coming in, asking, and and uh, we, we prioritize what people ask for. So that's a big driver. You might not realize it. I don't know if this, people realize that. Sometimes they think libraries are a mind of their own and they just like go about and they know exactly what to do. But you come in, you have an app you want to develop and what you're looking for is this particular thing. You bet that we're going we're gonna to help you out and we'll be probably working on it. So come and tell us what, you, uh, what you're building. I think you'll be surprised. Yeah, like projects, especially sort of like uh, core technology projects that want business or or people to integrate like you know they want industry to inform them you know what they should do next right i mean it's it's uh, it's the people who use it who rule it anyways guys this this was like this was awesome i i really appreciate you all taking taking your time to to come and talk about the, the all these projects it's a lot of good stuff happening uh so uh, we're gonna do a round of any final thoughts uh tino yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. Um, play around with the LDK node, uh, use it and give feedback. That would be awesome. Yeah, thanks. It was great. Uh, Tender Biscuit. Same. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Looking forward to, you know, come and play with our stuff. And uh, thank you. That's awesome. Mayor. Yeah. So uh, I'll just, since this is your podcast, I'll say anybody else interested in Tap Signer or uh, Sats Card on mobile? Uh, reach out to me at not mandatory. I, I I don't like being a solo developer. I want someone else to look at my shit because it's kind of messy right now. And uh, yeah, come check out our project. Come to our meetups or come to our uh, our live calls. Love to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Very cool. There you go. Uh, uh, <laughs> we might have a very long final thought here from uh, from Moneyball uh, because he's wearing a LN URL hat. Oh my. Yeah, my my parting thought. You can like LNURL and Lightning Address and <laughs> like and embrace Bolt 12. It doesn't have to be two camps hating each other. We can all oh, we love it. I agree. We can have love and peace. They can coexist. They can both do good things for Bitcoin. I, I think I think most of the people who uh, who have integrated LNURL did out of necessity because Bolt 12 was still not around. And I don't think people have a major issue with it. I think it's just a time in the market. I think people will see the the amazing qualities of Bolt 12. And I think a lot of things will end up redeveloping for Bolt 12. That's a very nice hat. 
that is also hilarious that you did that. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I, I really appreciate all the work that you all do. Thanks, MDG. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. For more resources, check the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. And remember, we don't have a crystal ball. So let us know about your project. Visit bitcoin.review to find out how to get in touch. Mm-hmm.